Um, our very last announcement is if you're someone who drinks coffee regularly, um, we don't have enough mugs to fund the whole church. So you can start bringing your mugs every morning, every Sunday morning to drink out of. That will make it a little bit easier. And then there will be less for the person who graciously cleans our mugs to clean every week. So start bringing your mugs. Um, last but not least, I'm going to pass the basket for offering. I'm going to pray over that and send it around. It's going to go all the way across and all the way across, not stopping and going back in each section. Okay. God, thank you so much for giving us a really incredible church family um, that we can come together every Sunday and worship you and learn about you. And I ask that you open our ears to hear what we need to today from your message, and then we go out and share your light with the world. Amen. Welcome to our series about drones. We're going to talk about drones. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we're going to continue on. Uh, I thought I wasn't preaching for a while, but I lied. I am preaching today, as I found out maybe, you know, not too long ago. Um, so, you know, I know you were all excited about Tom coming and John and some, you know, Leslie continuing, but, you know, I got to do at least one more of these. So I wrote a very poorly written story that used to be good when Tong wrote it. It's my horror story, and then I just totally messed it up. But I'm going to read my messed up version um, because, uh, you know, I just want to take credit for it. Even if it's bad, it's going to be my bad and uh, not Tong's good. So um, I wrote it. You're going to have to picture it. I'm going to maybe do a weird activity at the end where you can write an alternate ending because that sounds really cool and hip, kind of like Netflix, Black Mirror. You can, like, choose your storyline now, you know, right? All right? No one watches that? All right. No, me neither. Um, so maybe we'll give you a chance to write your own ending here at the, uh, the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I have any announcements, so we're just going to move right on in to Luke 14. Uh, I did have three people I wanted to share this morning, and none of them showed up. So what the heck, you know? We could, like, uh, FaceTime them or something, and they could share. So uh, we need more people to do the activity, all right? So hopefully today, or as you're reading through the week, you'll get inspired to do a gospel story or image or something, because we've used almost all of them at this point. So we need more, guys. We need more sources. Come on, let's do this. How many of you want to write something but just haven't yet? Okay, I'm looking around. All right, I'm expecting it now. I'm expecting it now. Okay, good deal. So we're going to run out of them uh, next week. So uh, let's get going on that. Sounds good. We'll send it out in a newsletter or something, the link for that. All right, Luke 14, here we go. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed them and sent him away. Then he asked him, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Again, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. My original sermon title for this was, yeah, sure, take the recliner, which is a terrible sermon title. 
okay? But I have noticed this thing that happens in small group settings where, you know, uh, there's certain people that will very quickly take the most comfortable chair, right? And then there are other people who will like take the least comfortable chair and maybe sometimes they're making you know, a statement of it or whatever. But if you ever just watch an environment like this, you're going to see this thing happening. People who think of themselves as very honored um, and uh, those who, uh, who are, are better at uh, not being honored. So anyway, this passage is all about honoring, humbling ourselves and, uh, and not being humiliated for the wrong things, but for the right things. Then Jesus said uh, to his host, when you give a lunch or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back. And so you will be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of those at the table with him heard this. He said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And notice here, <laughs> he basically just tells the exact same story again because it hasn't sunk in what he's trying to tell them. So he goes and tells a longer version of the thing he just said in response to the man's lack of understanding about honor in the kingdom of God. So a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those he had been invited, uh, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. This is some crazy timing, you know? Uh, Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. I have no clue if these are good excuses or not. Um, Even if they are, I guess the point is that uh, they made the wrong decision in terms of prioritizing. Another said, I have just bought, oh, I got that. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. (laughs) Blame it on the wife. I like that one. That's a good excuse. (laughs) Servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of these men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So in one hand, he's obviously talking about the Jews who the gospel has come to, who are self-satisfied with all the busyness of their activity and how the gospel will now go to the Gentiles. And another, uh, I, I think, level, he's talking about how generally those are who are already filled with good things in this life have very little room to be filled with God and therefore go out and find people who aren't filled with the good things of life and see if they will be more responsive to God and let the unwise shame the wise for their early and quick acceptance of who God is. So I wrote this story, and it's pretty cheesy and weird, and I like it a lot. Uh, it used to be a horror story, like I said, that Tong wrote, and I, if I would have spent more time on it, I think I could have developed it into something a little bit better. But it turned into a more like a cheesy love robot story, which is cool. <laughs> it's very futuristic. So just hang in there. It's not that long. And I think what I'm going to do is have you guys get together and write an alternate ending to it if you want to, because I think that it doesn't really come out until the end, sort of how it applies to this passage. And so I'll let you guys play around with it. And if you like, that's just way too hard for you. 
uh, to do, then you can just talk about the passage itself if you want to and, and sort of the point and how it applies to you. Because uh, I think we've got to uh, figure out what this is actually saying about how the kingdom of God works. All righty. So I titled this uh, story, Flip Trip Dip Fantasia. <laughs> we were like, what is that? What is that? It's a, it's a line from a song I sing all the time. Um, all right. It's impossible to keep up with society anymore without body augmentation. The technology has been widely available for decades now. Finally, we can enhance our frail human bodies with limitless abilities. You can spend your entire life savings in a day to get your body augmented. One such man in Michigan spent his retirement nest egg of a million point three dollars to be able to run as fast as 60 miles an hour. That's pretty cool to think about. You wouldn't even need a car anymore. You just constantly run 60 miles an hour. Peter, are you videotaping this story for, for your posterity? Okay, good. It's not that good. I'm warning you ahead of time. But just think about all the augmentation you could do. I mean, we're talking serious augmentation here, not larger breasts, okay? We're talking about abilities. I'm just, I know it's a weird word. That's why augmentation just kind of sounds like a weird kind of, you know, what is that even meaning? We're talking about like superhuman abilities, like jump 30 feet in the air. I don't know. Sky's the limit, all right? Maybe you could think about your own augmentation, what you would do, what you would pay for it. I don't know. Maybe... Laughing, Jimmy. That's what I'm trying to say. These are good things, man, not plastic surgery things. <laughs> All right. Um, body augmentation is a multi trillion dollar industry with various brands, different reviews, different materials. People spend a fortune to get the best augments. And even parents spend money on their kids' augmentation. So <laughs> you can tell what part of this is Tong coming up here. So if you want an arm and a leg augmented, you have to spend an arm and a leg to get it. <laughs> and also. <laughs> And also lose an arm and a leg in the process. <laughs> it wasn't enough for the first time. We had to go extra there. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Augmentation can also be your t- ticket out of oblique social status. A single mom in California recently took out an additional mortgage on her home to pay for her and her daughter to look like their favorite actress on the reality show, Teen Looking Augmented Moms with Actual Teen Kids. <laughs> now, everywhere they go, they get noticed and have had their own offers to come on the show. That's pretty sweet. All right. So, moms can look like teenagers again. Most people get skin on their augmented body to hide that they're augmented, so they still look like the average human. But others who can't afford it are called metals. They barely look human, but still are treated with more respect than the non-augs, as they call themselves. These people prefer, mostly because of religious reasons, to stay purely human. They have very little power in society and consider it sort of a nutty fringe group. However, they still command more respect than the junkers. Junkers are on the lowest rung of society. Pretty much everyone hates the junkers. Okay? They scavenge augments from junkyards and anywhere else they can. Junkers are said to be dirty and criminal. They differ from metals in that they mostly have cheap, outdated augments done, which are incomplete, look strange, and are often done poorly by themselves or other junkers. You still laugh at me. That's supposed to be like a kind of serious part, you know, the story. Like, you know, people augmenting their bodies, looking all strange. She's over here dying laughing, man. It's a good name. I think they want to go by non-ogs, you know? I know, it should be more positive, right? Maybe they're not that positive. Uh, Yes, okay. Scarcely a day goes by without hearing of another junker allegedly killing someone to extract their augments. While widely circulated, these stories are almost never verified. 
One such junker named Flip is such a twisted, tangled mess of metal, he no longer remembers his original form. While scavenging at a well-to-do Og's house, he finds an invitation to a party sent by one of the most famous men in the city. Why is this in the trash, he wonders. Takes the invitation back to some of the junkers who tell them they also found similar invitations as they were scavenging at some of the well-to-do Og houses across the city. How weird, they wondered. If we were invited to a party like this, we wouldn't miss it, they joked with each other. Not 30 minutes later, a young man claiming to represent this famous man came to invite them to his very party. Thinking it's some sort of mistake or perhaps a twisted joke at their expense, they hurl insults at the representative. <clears throat> a man calmly explains, listen, the people originally invited to this party were too busy with surgeries, religious services, and making money to buy skin, so the master told me to invite anyone I could find. Shocked but interested, they decided to attend. If nothing else, they'd have a great opportunity to scavenge. The house was gorgeous, the food unlike anything they had ever seen. But most importantly, the master himself greeted them with a handshake. Despite most didn't have fingers or even the shape of human hands most humans would recognize. His skin was perfect, better than any of them had ever seen. Flip could feel the shame well up inside of him for how ugly he and his friends must have been to the master. Didn't he know who they were or was he just stupid? But their curiosity, their hunger, and of course the potential to scavenge some necessary mods compelled them to stay. At the table, the junkers began to act out, unconsciously rebelling at what they felt painfully was an environment far above them. Inexplicably, wow, inexplicably, the master began to join in with their fun. They had never felt so welcome, so in the right place. In fact, it was so grateful, it was too painful to think about leaving. When the junkers did get ready to leave after the best time they had ever had, the master again shook hands with each one of them again and said simply, come back anytime. So that's my flip trip, dip Fantasia, you know what I'm saying? Um, so take like five or ten minutes if you want, not if you want, because don't stand there being like, or sit there being silent, and write an alternate ending if you want to. Come up with something that you know is totally different. I know this is kind of a stretch and kind of weird. Um, but I think the cool idea about it is that you're trying to attempt to bring this passage into some sort of real life, something that you might have experienced. And if you need to think of some completely different story, that's possible. I don't know if it's possible in five to 10 minutes, or if you just want to talk about how this passage would apply to you in your life, because we think about this banquet and we see this is a pretty great, fun story talking about how, uh, you know, God cares the most about the poor and the poorest people. But if we aren't collectively the poor and poorest people, what does that say to us? And how does this have any meaning in our lives? And in fact, the story has less to do with poor people and much more to do with how people see themselves in terms of honoring themselves and what position they are in life and how much they think what they've accomplished and what they've done is important and how much they recognize and understand how much they need uh, Jesus in their lives. So take an opportunity. If you want to finish the story, great. If you want to talk about how weird it is, that's fine. Give you like five minutes to respond and reflect on this. And then we're going to take communion. I'll come back up. And then I think we've got one more story. Uh, and then we'll uh, continue on in worship. Sound good? Decently clear? All right, go for it. So Brad asked me to share the story that I wrote in response to uh, Luke 11, which was whenever they were talking, uh, whenever Jesus came to the Pharisees' house and he ate with them. And he was like throwing shade at them the whole time. So this is from the viewpoint of one of the Pharisees. It's called, Who is this man? Who is this man? Who does he think he is? 
He comes in unannounced to join me and my friends as we relax and dine together. A savage he is. Won't even remove the filth he's accumulated as he traveled here before sitting down to eat. Must be some uncultured Samaritan. I don't know. Oh, good. My friends notice too. Somebody's telling him how much of a slob he is. Wait, what's this? Excuse me? Who is this man? Who does he think he is? He thinks he can blaspheme us? We are some of the most perfect Jews around. He must be jealous of our prestigious faith and reputation. Woe to you, he says. This man knows nothing of the delicacies of following the Lord. I've read every book of law and kept it, so much so that I've risen and risen above so many others who could not afford to tithe or failed to keep the law. Woe to you, he says. He can't possibly understand how much work I've put in to become such an esteemed keeper of the law. I deserve the best seat, the best spot at the table because of all I have done for the Lord and all the people I have corrected and pointed back to God. There is no evil in me. What sin I've committed, though very little, has been accounted for through payment and sacrifice. I'm clean, perfect even. How dare he insult me so? Woe to you, he says. He can't possibly comprehend what evil things these people have done. Becoming drunk, committing adultery, stealing, killing. They deserve the truth to know that they'll suffer in hell if they don't turn from their evilness. Their salvation is not my burden to bear. They did this to themselves. Why should I have to work for them after I've worked so incredibly hard to keep myself pure? Woe to you, he says. He thinks I don't know the scriptures? Ha! Huh. I've been studying them since I was a young boy. He must not be aware of the terrible things these prophets did to deserve death. My fathers knew what they were doing, but even so, why complain about their fate? We have built them altars and wonderful grave sites that they might be honored despite their own mistakes. Woe to you, he says. How dare he assume that I attempt to sabotage the good Jewish people? No, he doesn't realize how much knowledge I truly have. To tell the lay people that much would be a disservice to them. They cannot handle so much. I'm only helping them, telling them what they need to know when they need to know it and not bogging them down with all the unnecessary details. Who is this man? Who does he think he is? Surely he's just insulting our good, righteous names because he's hiding something. We have to figure out what it is and condemn this man for blaspheming us. For when you blaspheme the Pharisees, it's like blaspheming God himself. For we are the good, chosen people to lead the Jewish nation. He's just a ragged, filthy traveler who's causing trouble and disturbing our peace with his big mouth. We'll catch him like the prophets our fathers caught. It's only a matter of time. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.